Hey everybody, David Chudik here, and I would love it if you would check out our new and updated website, www.weeklywealthpodcast.com, and download our roadmap to financial success. It gives you some thinking points and some talking points that can help you to make the most of your money. Uh, today, we're excited to be talking with attorney Justin Hamrick. He's a, an estate planning attorney in Greenville, South Carolina. As always, this is general information. It's not intended to be legal advice, so consult your own attorney for specific advice to your situation, but this will certainly give you some questions to ask yourself. Justin's website is hamricklegal.com, and you can also contact his office by calling 864 520 2012 and we hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. And this week I'm excited to have attorney Justin Hamrick on the line and we're going to talk about how to leave life insurance to your kids uh, in the proper manner. Now, for those of you who are watching on video, you see that we have a co-star today um, on, on, on uh, and she's the cutest co-star we've ever had. So, hey, Justin, how are you? I'm good, David. Hey, and who's your assistant with you today? This is my three-year-old daughter, Ella. Hey, Ella, how are you? Can you say hi? Hi. Hi. Are you, you're the cutest podcast guest we've ever had. And how old are you? Three. Good deal. Well, kind of one of the reasons we wanted to just have Ella make a guest appearance is today we're talking a little bit about how parents can make sure that their kids are taken care of if something ever happens uh, to them, because there are some ways to do that. So did you know that your daddy and he helps people? Yes sir. yes, sir. So tell me about you, Justin. Where, where are you from? Where'd you go to law school? And tell me a little bit about your practice. First, David, thank you so much for having me on. Um, my name is Justin Hamrick. Um, I, I'm a lawyer in the, in the Greenville area, focusing mostly on estate planning. Went to law school in Charleston. After that, hey, got a that's path. a horrible place to live for a it's few years, terrible. isn't it? Yeah. It's terrible. But then I went to a more horrible place after that. I went to Denver and got a master's in tax law and, stu and studied more advanced estate planning. Um, been back here for about, uh, been practicing for 11 plus years and uh, I like what I do. And here we are. No, that's awesome. That's awesome. And I think it's cool. We, we, we have your little, little girl on because the job of, of managing money and all that encompasses is really to make sure that those around us are taken care of. Um, as a financial advisor, you know, people will come up to me and say, Hey, you know, should I have Bitcoin? Should I have Dogecoin? And, or should I invest in Apple or, and, and those are all important questions, but we also have to look at all of the other parts of our financial picture. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, about life insurance and how to handle that. So let's get kind of right down to it. Oftentimes, parents will buy term insurance and kind of the purpose of it is, is if God forbid they don't make it home, um, you know, there's a chunk of money to help pay for kids. Cause let's face it, kids aren't cheap. They want to eat and they want clothing and they want us to pay for their schooling and everything else. 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about like, what is a beneficiary, first of all, and what type of financial instruments will typically have a beneficiary? Have a beneficiary, like a, like a beneficiary form or retirement plans, life insurance, annuities. Those are the most common ones. And many of my clients are, are parents with minor kids, just like I am. I've got a three-year-old daughter, which Everyone just saw she's the, the cutest thing in the world. And a big problem that I see is oftentimes there will be a life insurance policy. Just call it husband and wife. You know, there's a sizable policy on the husband. And when Maybe- you say sizable, you know, what people don't realize that if God forbid, Justin doesn't make it home one day, not only does daddy gone, daddy's paycheck is gone. And all of the expenses of raising a family, they don't go away. So money is still needed. I mean, your family would trade every penny of it to have you back, but you know, that money still is, is really needed. So planning life insurance is really, really important. Yeah. Dave, like you said, I, I think it's vital for, for people to have, it, especially people like, like me. And one of the most common problems I see is on the beneficiary form, either minor children or young adult kids, young adults will be named as either the primary or the contingent beneficiaries on the beneficiary form. And what that means is it's very possible depending on, you know, if it's a husband and wife, the order of who passes away first, or if the kids are listed as primary beneficiaries, Regardless of whether they're primary or contingents, there's a very real possibility that the life insurance proceeds are going to get paid directly to the minor kids. And if they're minor kids, in general, minor kids cannot own property. So what happens is court gets involved and has what's called a conservatorship established. And court stays involved as far as overseeing how that money's being managed and used for the kids. And when the kids turn 18, uh, they get a big lump sum. And in my experience, like virtually no parent is comfortable with an 18 year old getting a sizable amount of money and sizable can mean 50 grand, 500 grand. Um, I would not want my daughter to turn 18 and, and get full control of $50,000. Well, even $10,000, you can do a lot of damage. Yeah. There's a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of bad things you can buy if you if you have that, that lump sum of, of money, no question. And, and David, also what people don't realize is that if, if one parent or both parents are gone, that can really shake a child up mm-hmm. and leave mm-hmm. them in bad things. And when, when you have a lot of money at your disposal um, and you're not mentally... Uh, mentally there, you don't have your head screwed on straight, uh, that can lead into really bad things. And I could tell horror stories. Oh, I, I bet you can. Go there. Mm-hmm. So let, let's say just let's take a guy like yourself. Uh, you, is Ella your only child or do you have have others? She is my only child. Okay. So I'm just, I'm going to make some generalizations and uh, I'm going to say that you're a smart guy. I'm sure you have some life insurance and I'm sure that that life insurance, a, a, a large portion of it is just to make sure that if, if God forbid you didn't make it home, your family can kind of maintain its lifestyle, right? I mean, isn't that kind of what your thought process would be? Uh, very much so. 
Okay. So you mentioned a couple words before, and I just want to kind of dissect these words. You mentioned primary and contingent. So is it fair to say that more than likely your wife is the primary beneficiary? And what is a primary Correct. beneficiary? Yep. And then there's a life insurance policy on her in which I'm the primary beneficiary. And then the way that I encourage all my clients with minor kids at the very, very least have a plan in place that plans for the possibility of, you know, if both parents are gone, the, the life insurance funnels into a trust for the benefit of my, of my child to pay for her health expenses, education, summer camp, piano lessons, other things that parents would typically pay for. So you mentioned trust, like in, in, in the most simplest terms, what is a trust and what would the trust do? Um, David, there are many different types of trust, but I'm going to try to overly simplify things. Absolutely. Any type of trust is just a relationship between three different parties. You have the, the creator. The creator creates it and puts property into it. The trustee is the person who manages the, the money and property for the benefit of the beneficiary. So a trust is just a relationship between three different parties. But I think to keep things pretty simple and for the audience's um, better understanding, I, I think speaking about what's called a testamentary trust is, is most appropriate. And basically what that is, is a, a client's will, a parent's will, they pass away, their documents, their will creates a trust where um, just call the, the trustee Uncle Joe, your, your brother or your sister or someone else. Mm -hmm. Uncle Joe is the trustee and she manages the property or he, he manages the money and property for the benefit of the child. Again, uses it for their health expenses, education expenses, other things. And then when a child turns 25 or 28 or 35, they can have it all. They can have full control of it all or they can have control of a portion at 27, a portion at 31. The balance Could you put conditions, you can have you can have the balance if you're in school or if you have a job or if you're not addicted to substances. Because like we said, having a large sum of money sometimes can be very negative on a young person's life. Yeah, you, you can definitely put um, restrictions on the money being made available for the beneficiary. Um, but even like, you know, even if a child develops issues, money from trust can be used to deal with that, to, okay. to pay for, you know, rehabilitation, to pay for other things. Now, you mentioned Uncle Joe would be named as a trustee. What mechanisms would be in place to make sure that Uncle Joe doesn't buy a Ferrari for Uncle Joe's benefit? Um, there, there are certain mechanisms that can be put in place. I think that may be a bit beyond the scope of our conversation. Ultimately, you don't want to name someone that you don't trust. But uh, if Uncle Joe were to buy a Ferrari for himself, then, then ultimately he can be held personally liable and be sued. Um, oftentimes, though, that's not caught until years down the road. And 
if you sue Uncle Joe and he doesn't have anything, what can you get? So that's why Mm -hmm. you want to name someone that you trust. Let's say, you know, you're Justin and and you go to get some life insurance and you just kind of just quickly, uh, you know, the agent or the person you work with said, you know, I kind of assume you want to name your wife as as primary beneficiary. And of course you would say, absolutely. You know, I want her to get the money and she's going to deal with it um, for the, for, in the best interest of our family. But of course, God forbid, let's say you and your wife are in a car accident or let's say, you know, God forbid she passes from, for some other reason and, changing your life insurance policy is the last thing on your mind because, and you just never got around to it. So you have a a contingent beneficiary. And um, like we said, your your agent said, well, I assume you want to just name your kids as contingent. So now cute little Ella is the contingent beneficiary. And that just creates a whole, a whole can of worms and problems and expenses and, and everything else for her, doesn't it at this point? Yeah. And, and David, that brings up a good point because Let's say that my plan says both my wife and I are gone and trust is created for Ella. But on the beneficiary form, it still lists Ella as the beneficiary. That money's not going to funnel into trust for her. It's going to go outright to her. So the point is we have to make sure that the beneficiary form is coordinated with the estate plan. Two things I've seen recently is number one, somebody who's on a second marriage and they got life insurance a long time ago when they were married to the first spouse and the first spouse was listed as beneficiary as was proper at the time. Well, then things happen, get divorced and clearly they just never change the beneficiary and first spouse is still listed as, as beneficiary. Maybe you, you want, I, I have plenty of clients who still want to leave insurance to their ex-spouse. Sure. So it's important to update it to make sure that that they will not be cut out. Right. If that's what right. you want to happen. Well, and and really kind of the whole point of of working with an attorney and a financial advisor is really to to the extent that it's possible to make what you want to happen with your money actually happen as opposed to just having some default rule come into play. Another example, somebody that I know had an ex-spouse pass away recently, and this guy still had a life insurance policy on her from a group policy through work, didn't even realize he had it. They've been divorced for I don't know how many years, but she passed away and he got a $75,000 check. Um, So that kind of worked in in his benefit. But life insurance is just one of those things that you got to keep up with and you have to know what's happening um, or else you could have some some issues later on. I I definitely agree with you. And and David, I, you know, I'll, I'll have to confirm about the um, ex-spouse being cut out. But but even if they're even if they are cut out and they're still listed as the beneficiary, I, I think you're potentially looking at a court battle. Yeah. So the point is, update the beneficiary forms when major life changes occur. OK, so another thing. So we're talking about life insurance, but. IRAs and 401ks, is this the same general rule? So if I work for XYZ plant and let's say I've been there for 15 years and I have a couple hundred thousand dollars in my 401k, I still on that, there should be a beneficiary form, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Same thing. You know, let's just assume it's husband and wife, spouse is primary and the trust for the kids is the contingent, but it's even more important 
from an estate planning perspective, because whenever a re retirement plan is payable to a trust, there, there can be significant negative tax consequences if certain language is not built into the trust, um, especially for minor kids. And we always take that into account. Okay. And, and that's where what I always tell people is the daily parts of managing money, which is kind of just living within your means and, and, and not spending what you shouldn't spend and having a budget. Those are things that we kind of need to handle on our own. But the more complicated issues, we really need to get the advice of competent attorneys, of financial advisors, of tax professionals, uh, because some of these mistakes can just be absolutely huge. If, and, and let's face it, a lot of us, we just don't even know what we don't know. So it would seem like, hey, just leave the money to the, to the kids. That's fine. No big deal. They'll get the money. Well, that's not exactly how it works. And that could create some huge financial uh, difficulties uh, right there. So if... David, one sure. thing. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hear this all the time from parents with minor kids. They'll say something to the effect of, hey, you know, we don't have much. We don't have much. And um, I'm like, well... That may be the case, but if you're dead or if you're both dead, there's going to then <laughs> there will then exist a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, they tend to overlook life insurance policies. So going back to what you um, you said, let the will have the possibility of, of creating a trust. So after are you saying that after both parents are deceased, then an attorney like yourself would draw up a trust or it would be drawn up, but it doesn't go in effect until uh, the parents are, are deceased. Until the parents are both deceased. And David, I would say at the very least have, have a plan like that. Um, a client's plan may necessitate more complex planning. When we're dealing with money, when we're dealing with planning, we have to, you know, once every few years, we just have to think about the inevitable. We have to think about what we want to happen when we pass. We want to think about, um, you know, if we're ever unable to make decisions for ourselves and maybe have, have you or an attorney like you um, draw up some papers to let, allow others to make decisions for us. So every so often, it is important just to have these conversations with your loved ones to make sure that the right plan is in place to allow you your wishes to, um, to come true. I mean, wouldn't you agree with that? Do you have to have some, I don't know, uncomfortable conversations with clients just to get them to think about, you know, if you were ever incapacitated or, or, or no longer with us? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable. It's, it's often uncomfortable from the beginning, which is why I kind of like to joke around some with clients because we're, mm -hmm. we're, we're talking about dying and being incapacitated and that, tends to make people uncomfortable, like you said, and people, I, I try to get people to open up because the, the more you open up and tell me, the better I can help you. And the analogy I often use is, it's like going to the doctor and the doctor says, where does it hurt? And you're like, it just hurts. And the doctor's like, well, where? And you're like, it just hurts. Well, I mean, what, what can the doctor do with that? So the more I know, the better I can help plan. And just like you. And, and unfortunately, in the cases that we're talking about right now, if these things aren't, there, there's a moment in time where it's too late to plan. And that's right after the car accident or 
I mean, COVID, I mean, who knows what things happen. I mean, we all think we're going to, I'm a dude, you're a dude. We're going to live forever. Right. Well, it's not, that's not how it works. Parents in their, you know, twenties, thirties that have young kids like yourself. Let's talk a little bit about some of just the, 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 the basic estate planning topics that they should be talking to either you or their attorney about. And, and let's go ahead and say, you know, we're not giving legal advice, consult your own attorney, state laws are different, but what's kind of the, the general attorney advice on the things that you really need to be thinking about if you have uh, minor children? Um, Dave, good point. It's good that you said state laws do differ because what I said earlier may not be the case in Georgia or a different state. So uh, let's, uh, yeah, I'm glad you, you, you said that. Um, so th- the question was, what are some things that parents with minor kids should be thinking about? Yeah, you know, everybody, and, and I've had clients that are wealthy, they don't have wills, they don't have, they don't yeah. have medical directives, they don't have any of that in place, just because who, like I said, I don't want to, number one, I don't want to write a check to Justin because who wants to pay for anything, right? I don't want to go see an attorney and talk about what might happen if I die. I don't want to talk about if I'm ever in a vegetative state. But um, when I do, I mean, what if, if I were to set an appointment with you, what are some of the things that you would want to talk about and put into place? And what are some of the questions that you as my attorney would would ask me so that you can help me to plan the right way for well, just to you know, briefly touch on, briefly touch a little bit more on the minor children issue. You know, what tends to get people in the door is, you know, if both parents are gone, who's going to have physical custody of the kids? Who's going to be the guardian? Who's going to raise them? Um, but, but also again, um, who's going to have control of the money to to use for the kids? And Often so let some- me interrupt you right there. Let's say, you know, God forbid something happened and you and your wife had no, no, you hadn't done any planning. Yeah. Who gets Ella? Like, right. You know, I mean, maybe there's two sets of grandparents, both want her. I mean, does that just yeah. create a whole fight? Yeah. Which wouldn't yeah. be good for anybody involved. Right. I mean, it would cost money. It would put stress on her. It might create more division. So to have those conversations now and, and have you, the attorney, put those those papers in place would just be such a huge gift to everybody involved. I, I totally agree. I mean, if you don't have anything in place, you're arguably, like you said, one set of siblings on each side or grandparents on each side could be fighting over physical custody of, of the um, child. Um, what I was going to was... Uh, Oftentimes, people want to name the guardian and the trustee as the same person. And, and for many of my clients, they're, they're fine with that. But it's, it's worth at least having a conversation about, hey, maybe we should rethink that. Because <clears throat> if the guardian and the trustee are the same person, there are no checks and balances. And by that, I mean, let's say that um, your brother is the trustee for your kids and your sister is the guardian. Whenever your your sister, the guardian, you know, has expenses to pay for, you know, she has to communicate with the trustee. Hey, we need the, this ex- expense paid for. We need this or that paid for. You know, the the trustee is going to approve it or not approve it. Now, you you get the checks and balances when there are different people in different roles, but when they're in the same role, you don't have that oversight. So that's a conversation that I, I very much feel that 
I should have and, and do have. Um, now, many people still choose to name the same person to act in both roles. Can an institution be, 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 be a trustee if, if, cause I could also imagine, I, I think the checks and balance is a great point, but I could also imagine possibly some friction, you know, all, I don't know if I have the only crazy family out there, but you might have another crazy, you, you may have a crazy family. I'm the only normal person in my family, uh, apparently. And that's at least my opinion. It, it, it's rare to find the perfect family like mm-hmm. mine. Um, obviously that's a, <laughs> that's a joke. Um, a corporate trustee can make sense like the bank or a trust company or something else. Um, you know, especially if there's no one that you really trust, um, or if you foresee that your daughter who's 15 is going to be arguing with your sister with, with aunt Sarah, and that's right. only going to do this. So, Again, a great conversation, a great point that you just made and something to discuss with all clients. Okay. What if, um, what if, you know, we're just coming off the pandemic, God forbid, if I would have been on a ventilator and, and, and couldn't make decisions for myself, I, I, I own a business. I mean, what would need to happen in order for my wife or anybody else for that matter in order to be able to make some decisions for me while I'm incapacitated? The Adult Healthcare Consent Act, I think, has a, a hierarchy of people who can act for you by default if there's no one in place. Okay. And I, I think it's like spouse, then kids if they're old enough, then maybe um, parents and then siblings. But you may not want your um, your dad or your mom acting for you if you're if you're single. Maybe your spouse. I mean, nine nine percent of the time spouses are naming each other as the primary healthcare decision maker. Um, but occasionally there is a person who doesn't want their spouse. Or what if, um, what if you have nothing in place and you have no spouse? So then I think we default to your parents. What if they disagree on a healthcare decision? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's just one more reason why we should plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, planning. And how often, how often would you recommend to review kind of your basic will document? I mean, whether it's a, a will or more advanced planning, what I try to do on a yearly basis is reach out to clients and say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, hope you're doing well. Has anything changed? Has anyone passed away, um, gotten divorced? Have you opened new accounts? Um, you know, we, we, we may need to meet again to make sure that your, your plan is still up to date and is going to work the way that you want it to work. Um, now, you know, we, one reason we stay in touch with people is just to stay in touch with them because too often, you know, parents, clients get their documents in place and they put them in the drawer for 20 or 25 years Mm-hmm. Don't look at them. And then the situation's radically changed. Um, so, so you may not have to update your, your documents every year, every few years, but at least, you know, take a look at them every couple of years or so. 
Well, and I think just to say, hey, Justin, this changed in my life. Do we need to update our will? You know, you drew it up. You know, is this something that you as my attorney see as important? Are there any changes to make? And then you can kind of have the seal of approval from the attorney to know that, yeah, we kind of do need to make a change or no, that's okay. Thanks for thanks for letting me know. But my expertise kind of dictates that we're good and and, and you can you know, you can sleep at night knowing that uh, that you're still uh, still handled properly. Well, this is very informative because financial advising is not only about managing money and where you should invest money. It's about all of the other parts of it. And if I helped a client to to generate uh, you know a seven or eight figure portfolio, but we had their beneficiaries incorrect, or we didn't check their beneficiaries, or they had, you know, three life insurance policies ago. We didn't we didn't confirm their beneficiaries, and and there was no trust drawn up. We didn't have them talk to somebody like you. Then that creates major major problems, and it creates stress. And really, my job is to help clients sleep at night and eliminate as much financial stress as possible, and and help help people to live their lives in a better way by how they're how they're handling their money. So nobody lives a better life when when relatives are fighting over money and fighting over uh, custody of kids after you know what could be the the worst day in anybody in the family's uh, life so i appreciate this information uh, especially so any uh, kind of closing estate planning thoughts some of maybe some of the bigger just common mistakes that you see for the for the everyday folk and then also much money do we, you know, people think of, you know, trust is, is for just a lot of money and trust fund babies are only for rich people. I mean, are trusts only for quote rich people or, or should they be put in place? And are they pretty simple for someone like you to draw up? Trust in, in general, um, again, there are different types of trust and going into the descriptions of what each one does is beyond the scope. But um Again, at the very least, have some kind of trust for minor kids, for young adult kids. Um, what's what's called a irrevocable trust is often like a will substitute. Um, for some people, that there are there are pro, the major pros about that is it's going to help you bypass probate court at death. Not everything has to go through probate court, and oftentimes on the first death. We can design things so that everything automatically goes to the other spouse. But it's, so it's not until the second death that we have to be concerned about probate court. Some people are concerned about it. Some people don't, don't care. They're like, I'm dead. My family can, <laughs> my family can deal with it. Uh, but it's at least worth having a discussion about. But we don't know the order of deaths. Uh, people could, parents could die at the same time. Wife dies first, husband dies two months later. I think going back to just what you touched on earlier, and that's, you know, have um, have an estate plan that is coordinated. A, a lot of people just think I get these documents in place and I'm done. And I, I can't emphasize enough how often I see, even when clients have a pretty good plan in place, the beneficiary forms are done incorrectly. And so the plan is not going to work like the client thinks it's going to work. And that's the whole idea is to have it work the way you think it's going to work. Somebody's listening and says, wow, you know what? I think I'm, I left my life insurance to my kids. And I think that beneficiary form is wrong. And this is kind of scary. I need to take care of this. Um, number one, 
what states are you licensed in? And if and if if um, if anybody's in 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 those states or that state, how would they get in touch with you? And number two, kind of what is the general process? Like, if you were another attorney wanted to meet with somebody, like, would you meet several times? Would there be online questionnaires? How would you get this process started? Um, I am I am only licensed in South Carolina, so I can only do work for you if you reside in South Carolina. As far as the process, how the process works, David, people typically call in, we get them scheduled, and then we send them an intake worksheet that asks questions, you know, on a scale of high to low. How concerned are you about this issue? How concerned are you about this other issue? Some people are concerned a lot about certain issues. Um, other people don't care about certain issues at all. It also asks questions about your family dynamics as well as your stuff. Is it a retirement plan, house, life insurance, something else? And then we meet and based on their stuff and their concerns and the family dynamics, we talk through different ways for how they can plan. And then sometimes they'll want to go ahead and design a plan in that meeting. Sometimes they'll want to think about the different ways they can plan in which case we'll schedule a follow-up meeting. And at that meeting, we design the plan and then try to have them back into the office within a month or so to sign their documents because I don't want to put it out three months where something could happen between, you know, in that three-month time period. Yeah, yeah. So so some thought-provoking intake question forms, an appointment or two, and then you come back, you know, within a month or so, sign some papers, and then you're done. Then you've you've dealt with it, you've done the difficult work, which is just kind of getting started. And then, you know, hopefully your attorney's contacting you once every year or two and reminding you that if anything major has changed, let's just deal with it or, or let's see if anything needs to be dealt with. But then you can go on and live your life. And 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 um, I know like as a guy, um and, and and, and other clients that I've had, like a lot of times when a, when, a, when a husband gets life insurance, like they're almost proud because they know that they've done like their duty, like their family will be okay if they don't make it home. So let's do that. Let's get the right amount of life insurance, but let's also deal with these darn legal documents that are no fun. I mean, who wants to think about who's going to get the kids or who wants to think about, but if we don't think about it now, it just creates problems. And, and it's, it's the Justins of the world, the attorneys that have the legal expertise to help you to make what you want to happen actually happen. And that's what it's all about. And then um, if there ever is, or when, you know, that inevitable worst day happens, at least things are a little bit easier for your family because there'd be some money coming in from, from the right amount of life insurance. And then all of the other decisions have almost been pre-made. David, one thing I like to tell clients is um, after we're done with the plan, I like to say clients, hopefully we don't have to use your plan anytime soon. Mm -hmm. And I, I really obviously mean that. Um, it's kind of like term life insurance. You, you, you hope you don't have to use it, but if you got it, and you need it, then that's a great thing. And same with estate planning. If, if you need it and it's there, that's a, that's a really great thing. Well, we're in, you know, a few counties apart and I'm not sure about your county, but um, in my county, the, um, the mortality rate is hovering around hundred percent. So at some point we're all going to, we're all going to need it. So it, it's, you know, hopefully later uh, as opposed to sooner, but we're all going to need it. And it's better to think about it now. So this is awesome. This is interesting. Let's close out the episode with a, with a thought provoking question. 
What is Justin Hamrick's definition of wealth? What does true wealth mean to you? Huh? True, true wealth, true wealth. You know, an intact family that loves you, cares about you. Um, I, I, I think, and, and planning for them. Um, I, I guess I kind of went off on a tangent there. I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen it, David, too many people that, I mean, that I mean, they have tons of money and yet the family's all in disarray. Yep. And that to me is not wealth. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of money is not going to buy you peace of mind and happiness and contentment. So I, I would say, you know, family harmony, contentment, children and spouse that love you. To me, I think that's, that's true wealth. Absolutely. And if we look at a small part of contributing to your definition of true wealth would be making sure your estate documents are in order because these people that you love, they would have a more difficult time if these estate documents are not in order, especially after what possibly is the worst day of their life if they're losing a loved one. So, so see your lawyer, get your wills done, let your lawyer ask you the hard questions, make some decisions, get these things in writing. Yeah. And I know Justin doesn't work for free. You're going to have to write him a little bit of a check, but that's okay. We should pay experts, uh, experts for, uh, for their advice. So Justin, I appreciate this. And um, maybe one of these days uh, I'll be, uh, be in your neck of the woods. We'll grab, uh, grab some breakfast or grab some lunch. David, thank you so much. So after listening to my conversation with Justin Hamrick today, I hope that you will go out and check your beneficiary forms. Check your beneficiary forms on your life insurance, on your IRAs, on your annuities, on your 401k. And if you have minor children listed as beneficiaries, consider speaking with an attorney to put some of the practices in place that Justin and I spoke about today. Also, to schedule your 30-minute complimentary consultation with me, email me at david at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. And let's have a 30-minute talk and let's discuss the issues that are keeping you up at night that deal with your money. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.